Well, hey, it is uh, great to have you with us here today, and I got to tell you, I'm excited uh, to be here. Uh, I had the chance to take a couple of weeks off, uh, some vacation time, and get away with my family, and uh, man, just really well-rested and excited uh, to be back and and to be sharing uh, with you today. Um, How many of you still have your high school yearbooks, Um, or maybe you're still in high school? Do they even do these anymore? Like, if you're, I don't even know if they they still publish, they do. I'm getting some some heads that are nodding. Yes, I I was looking through uh, my high school yearbooks this past week, and that's frightening, right? I mean, have you you experienced this? Have you done this? Have you tried it? Uh, It can be a little frightening going back in the past and uh, looking at at some of these things, because the truth is that time changes things, all right? Things, Things change over time. And, and so I was slipping through each of these. I, I went to Chatham Glenwood High School in central Illinois. We were the, the Redskins. Uh, well, times have changed. They're no longer the Redskins. Uh, they're now the Titans. But, uh, but boy, pictures kind of reveal some things, too. I, I thought you might be interested in seeing. I, this is my sophomore year in high school picture. Uh, weighing in at close to 98 pounds, there is uh, Paul Mumaw, uh, your pastor uh, there today. Um, I played some basketball uh, at Chatham Glenwood. There I am, number 34. I don't know if you can tell or not, but short shorts and, and all, and uh, spent a lot of time on the bench uh, for that basketball team. Got a little more playing time as the year went on. Uh, this next picture here, you might be surprised uh, to know uh, that I was on the varsity golf team as a sophomore. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, well, Paul, you never talk about golf. We didn't know you were such a golfer. Well, I wasn't. And uh, there's a great story behind that. Uh, a buddy and I decided, hey, let's go out for the golf team because we know that if you try out for the golf team, you get a whole week of free golf. And so we had no expectations of making this golf team. Well, week one of the tryouts was completely rained out. And so by the time week two came around, now the first week of tryouts, they had already scheduled for the yearbook, the team picture to be taken. And so on day one of the tryouts, I was fortunate enough to show up on the varsity golf team. Didn't make the team, but I got a free week of golf out of it, all right? I mean, that was the uh, whole plan along the way. And uh, well, that's as a sophomore. I'm over there in the far bottom left-hand corner, but there's, well, there's my senior yearbook photo, uh, hair part and all, all hair perfectly in place. You know, my wife and I often joke, we didn't know each other in high school, different towns, different states, like, would we have dated each other in high school? I mean, as we look at each other's yearbook, you know, would the love uh, have really been there? Well, uh, again, I, I don't know if you've looked at your yearbooks or not, uh, if you've paid attention to some of that change. Um, you know change if you've ever gone to a high school class reunion, uh, if you've gone back to some of those. And, and I've I got to be honest, there, there's part of me at times that, you know, maybe when you've gone back to see how the high school quarterback or the prom queen have changed and kind of like when you see them and you maybe haven't seen them in a long time and it's like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, you know, I mean, life has, has kind of come along and, you know, we've, we've all had that change, but, uh, well, that's not right, but I've got to confess that there's a little bit of that in me uh, at times, but um, you know what? Um, seriously, though, I, I've got to tell you the change uh, and the transformation that I enjoy uh, more than anything is the tra- change and transformation that I see in people uh, when Jesus Christ uh, comes into their life and the work that he does and the, the, the new life and the new beginnings uh, that Jesus makes possible. I mean, there have been times you know, in my life now living so far from home that you know, through something like Facebook, I've come across maybe a friend from middle school or high school who you know, didn't know Christ, but now later in life has a relationship with Jesus Christ and it's fun you know, to see that change. And, and the same is true, you know, even here at a church like Genesis. And maybe for some of you that
that have come into this community and, and you've run right into Jesus and now you know him as Lord and Savior and you see how he changes all things and he changes every single one of us and, and how we need him and the great and the wonderful work uh, that he can do in our lives. Well, today I want to talk with you about one of the greatest stories of change and transformation that we see in the Bible. And we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul and see the work that Jesus did in his life. But not only that, I also want you to see what got into him. Like what got into Saul's life and what, what really made all of the difference, this incredible difference in his life and how he was able to go out and, and have such a great you know, impact for Jesus Christ in the world. And so if you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to take it with us if you would. And open to Acts chapter 9. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you and you use something like version on your smartphone, we invite you uh, to go there with us. Um, I've got to tell you right up front, I've got a lot to cover today. I'm a little all over the place, but I'm going to trust that uh, there will be some good things uh, that will come through this. And, and if you are new to Genesis, uh, you've got to know that we've been reading through the Bible together in 2013 uh, from beginning to end using a resource called The Story. And we've got three weeks uh, three weeks left in it before we wrap up, and uh, if you've been reading along with us, well, then you should be all the way up to chapter 29 uh, in the story for today, uh, a chapter that looks a little more closely at the life of Paul and, and some of his journeys and some of his experiences, and I want to point out, too, that while most of us uh, know him by the name of Paul, he was Apostle Paul, um, before he was ever called Paul, we see that even in scriptures, he's referred to in the New Testament as Saul with an S. And so to get the full story on Saul, we need to jump back to chapter 28 in the story for just a moment, or Acts chapter 9, if you're in your Bible, and we're going to start right out in verse 1, where it says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Now let's just stop there for a second. Saul was an enemy to these early Christians and to the church. Now, this is post-resurrection, all right? This is after Jesus has ascended into heaven. And at this particular point in history, when the church was very young, Saul led an effort to eradicate Christianity, or what was sometimes referred to in the New Testament as the way. And what he would do is he would use any means, even violent means, to quiet Christians. And if he wasn't able to silence them, uh, he would arrest them, or in some extreme cases... There were those who were even killed. You can read about one of those altercations in Acts chapter 7, uh, where it describes the violent execution of a disciple by the name of Stephen. Now, a group of men came together and they stoned Stephen for his faith in Jesus Christ. And Scripture records that the whole time Paul was standing off to the side and he was giving approval to his death. Can you imagine? Like, can you imagine hating anyone, hating a group of people, hating Christians like this, that your heart would be so full of hate towards these people, to this group that the New Testament refers to as the way. Well, let's go back to those verses again because that's going to change. Picking it up in verse 1, again it says, Saul was still breathing out these murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now watch here because something's about to change. As he, as Saul, neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. 
he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Verse 7, it says, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. You know, it's in the city of Damascus where Saul hears from God again. And what the Lord does is he tells him, he tells Saul to go to the home of a man by the name of Ananias, a man who was also a Christian. Now, this caused some panic in Damascus amongst these other Christians for a reason. Saul wasn't a popular guy. I mean, they were terrified him, of him. I mean, he, he had this reputation, and Ananias was afraid too, but fortunately, the Lord also appeared to Ananias and told him to expect Saul. Skip over to verse 17. It says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Friends, this is one of the greatest stories of change and transformation in all of history. I mean, Saul, once an, an enemy and a murderer of Christians, will become one of the, if not the greatest evangelist this world has ever known. And what a great reminder to us. I mean, a great reminder that if God can use someone like Saul, it's a reminder that he can use you. I mean, that God can use you, that, you know, if God can do great things in the life of Saul, he can do great things in your life too. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. But I want you to see something else here too. I mean, Saul's switch from enemy of Jesus, or an enemy of Jesus to, to faith in Jesus Christ is a great reminder to us that there is no life that is so far out of reach of our God's love and what he's capable of doing. I mean, there is no life, no story, you know, so messed up. God can change any life. I mean, his grace and his forgiveness is that good. And what a great reminder to you and me that, you know, don't give up, you know, on that person in your family right now. Don't, don't give up on that friend. Uh, don't give up on your kid or, or your spouse. I mean, you might think that there is no way that God could change his or change her life, but God can change any life. And I think that more than anything, he loves a challenge, and that's what he got in Paul. Well, Saul's a new person, a new creation in Jesus Christ, and from here he starts meeting with other believers and other disciples, and the book of Acts shows us how he grew in his influence and in his preaching and, and how Jews, who once stood opposed to the truth and the message of Jesus Christ, started turning to Jesus. Um, most of the second half of the book of Acts is the story of Saul the evangelist, Saul the missionary, and Saul the church planter. I mean, Saul's mission was to take the gospel message of Jesus Christ uh, to not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles around the world. And we know from history, we know from reading in Acts that he took at least three extended missionary journeys outside of Israel during the course of his life. Now, 
Before we go any further, now's probably a good time uh, to let you know that while he was formerly known as Saul, again, most of us know him by the name of Paul. Now, some say, and I had even thought that God changed his name, that that was a part of his great conversion, but it's interesting that the Bible doesn't say that. Uh, The Bible doesn't say that because what is more likely is that like other Jewish families, like those born to other Jewish families in the Roman Empire, Saul has two names, that Saul is his Hebrew name and Paul was his more commonly known Greek Greek name. So whatever the case, that's what we're going to refer to him by because that's how we know him the best uh, from this point forward. Anyways, Paul spends the rest of his life traveling and planting these churches. And after a while, what he does is he goes back and he visits many of these same churches over again, these churches that he helped start. And uh, later in his life, you may know that uh, he started writing these letters uh, to each of these churches, uh, letters like Romans, uh, First and Second Corinthians, Colossians, uh, and Ephesians. In fact, many believe that we have 13 of Paul's letters captured uh, as the part of the New Testament. I mean, think about it. I mean, almost half of the New Testament were written by Paul, and, uh, and these letters, or what are sometimes referred to as epistles, uh, many of them were written like sermons to be read to the particular receiving church. So, for example, if you take the book of Ephesians, uh, it is a letter or a sermon written to the people, to the church, to the Christians who were living in Ephesus at the time. And when you think about it, it's kind of interesting because it sort of means that Paul was the first multi-site pastor. I mean, he really was. I mean, he he was the pastor of of one church, uh, but over many locations. And and if that's the case, then can you imagine, like, can you imagine the people, you know, showing up on a particular Sunday for a day of worship and maybe the news has gotten out that, hey, Paul is preaching this Sunday. And so people are excited and they get there only to find out that it's a letter. Like, he's not really here, you know, but they're just going to read his letter in the service. And so you got to know that somebody was like, oh, he's, you know, he's not live. You know, the next thing you know, they'll be showing a video message or something like that, you know. But uh, anyways, you got to be around to know what we're talking about. So many of the first churches outside of Jerusalem uh, were started or at least heavily influenced by Paul and his ministry and his leadership. I mean, this man, once known as a cold-hearted murderer of Christians, is now leading the cause to make the name and the message of Jesus Christ famous in the world. And how did it happen? I mean, what in the world led to such change and transformation in the life of Paul? Can I let you in on the secret? It's Jesus. Like, that's what he does. I mean, that's how he acts and how he moves and, I mean, what he's capable of doing. I mean, that... You know, he makes old things new. He redeems and, and restores. He's, he's got the ability and the power to say that old labels can't be held against you any longer. Your former reputation doesn't matter anymore. You know, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to pay a debt that we could never pay. And because of his death and his victory over sin, forgiveness is available. I mean, God's forgiveness changes everything. I mean, it changed everything for Paul. I mean, it changed, you know, his life, and it can change yours. I mean, think about it. I mean, if God can save a murderer like Paul and then use him for greater things in the world, can you even imagine what he could do or what he might be able to do in your life? And what changed Paul? Well, Jesus did. 
I mean, it was the power and the transformation of Jesus coming into his life. But, but let me ask you this. I mean, what got into Paul, though? I mean, what distinguishes him, you know, from so many other people who have lived, you know, in the days as followers of Jesus in time since? I mean, what got into him? What, what empowered him to go out and make a difference for Jesus Christ in the world? I think we get an indicator of that back in a verse we looked at just a moment ago in Acts 9, 17. Let's look at it again. It says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again, and then notice this phrase, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus changed his life. Jesus saved Paul. But it was the Holy Spirit that got into him and started changing him and empowering him so that Paul could go out and make a difference and change the world too. The Holy Spirit made all the difference. I mean, it was the Holy Spirit that marked Paul's life. And it was the Holy Spirit that changed Paul so that he was never again the same. Hey, if you haven't seen it for yourself, most of the second half of the book of Acts is just loaded with examples of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through the life of Paul. I want to look at just a few of those examples with you real quickly. We don't have these on the screen, but just follow along with me. If you read for yourself in Acts chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 1, Paul and Barnabas are together with the church in Antioch preparing for their first missionary journey. And before leaving there, uh, the leaders of the church gathered together uh, in Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And verse 3 says that the leaders laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and prayed for them. And then verse 4 describes how they were sent away through the power of the Holy Spirit and they sailed for Cyprus. Well, a few verses later, if you continue in that, in, verse, in chapter 13, you know, Paul was confronted by a sorcerer. And, and Acts 13, 9 says, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamis and said, You are a child of the devil. Now, that's not what you would call southern hospitality uh, at this time. But notice that Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit in everything that he does. Verse 3 says, From Cyprus, or not in verse 3, but uh, another example. From Cy if you continue on reading in chapter 13, uh, from Cyprus, Paul and, 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 and Barnabas continued on to Pisidian Antioch. Uh, where Paul preached through the power of the Holy Spirit in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Verse 44 says that on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. The whole city. I mean, that's some good preaching, all right? You know, he's effective. That's some great influence. Verse 46 describes how he preached boldly and, and courageously. Verse 48 says that when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. And then verse 49 continues saying, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. And verse 52 ends this particular section saying that because of Paul's preaching, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Man, you got to read this. I mean, if you haven't been following along or maybe fell off, I just encourage you, even in these last few weeks, to read for yourself. I mean, if you don't have a copy of the story, just read the book of Acts and see all the evidence. See it for yourself and the impact that the Holy Spirit had on the life of Paul and his ministry and in his teaching because it was the Holy Spirit that gave him the passion to share and to minister I mean, the Holy Spirit 
was the one that gave him the power to love people, especially people who were far from the Lord. I mean, when life got rough, it was the Holy Spirit that gave Paul the strength to overcome adversity and hard times in his life. It was the, the Holy Spirit that gave him direction in knowing where to go each day in his travels. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write the words that now make up half our New Testament. And it was the Holy Spirit that empowered Paul to live his life fully and completely surrendered to the Lord. And do you know what? That's what, what God wants for my life, and that's what He wants for your life too. A, a heart and a life completely and fully surrendered to the Lord, sold out to Jesus, trusting Jesus, serving Him in everything that we do. Now, God did some amazing things in and through the life of Paul, and I believe with all of my heart that God wants to do great things in your life too. I mean, he's got that plan. And uh, before you go calling me crazy uh, for comparing you or your life or my life to somebody's like Paul, I mean, consider this. If you call yourself a Christian, if Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, the very same spirit that was present in the life of Paul, he's present in your life too. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he's in your life too. I mean, the Holy Spirit made all of the difference for Paul and it was his understanding and it was his dependence on the Holy Spirit that gave him the courage to live the life that he lived. You know, for those of you that are here today that would say, you know what, I want to live my life fully surrendered to the Lord. Um, maybe the question that you or I need to ask today is this one. Who's the Spirit? Uh, what's he do? Uh, what's he capable of, of doing in my life? Well, I mean, what do I need to know about the Spirit and who he is and, and what he does? I mean, how do I get a little bit of what Paul had in me and see some of that same work in my life too? Well, what I want to do today with the time we have left is just take a few moments looking at some of the basics of the Holy Spirit. And this is in no way a complete or exhaustive study or overview of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so I ask for your apologies up front, but what I wanna do with our remaining time is just hit a few things, hit a few of the basics so that we might be encouraged today. Again, just some of the basics. If you're following along in your notes, the first thing is this. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a thing. And I'm gonna tell you why that matters. You know, so often, when we think about the Holy Spirit or we refer to the Holy Spirit, we'll call him an it. But he's not an it. He's a he. You know, which doesn't mean that he's a dude as you and I know dudes, all right? Or that he has a body, you know, that as we would understand, you know, a body. But on most occasions in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a he. And what did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? Well, look at John chapter 14, uh, verse 16. He says, and I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Now, the word another here is a funny word in the English language because even with the word another, I don't know if you've thought of this before, the word another actually has two meanings and two meanings that can be opposite. I mean, have you ever looked at it like that? That, you know, the word another can mean something different or it can mean something exactly alike. It's kind of like this. Say, 
one of my kids um, were to come up to me with some of their Halloween candy and I were to ask for a piece, all right? Now, if they love me, uh, if they completely understand who I am, they might hand me something like a bag of Skittles, all right? My kids know that I love Skittles or they'll hand me a box of Nerds, all right? I love the Nerds or, you know, maybe a Three Musketeers if I want to go the chocolate route. And again, if they hand me something like this, one of my favorites, then I might eat it and then ask for another, another of the same kind. But if all they're looking to do is unload some of the nasty candy on me and maybe they hand me something like dots, all right, or black licorice or, uh, you know, a bit of Swiss or anything that's wrapped in wax paper, you know, anything like that. They might hand me that piece of candy and I'll shake my head and say, absolutely not. I want another. I want something of a different kind. Well, the Greek language is the same. You know, there were two words in the Greek language commonly translated as another. They're in your notes. The first is heteros. It, it means something different or not of the same kind. Uh, it's the root of where we get our word heterogeneous. But that's not the word that Jesus is using here. Jesus instead used the Greek word alos, which means another of the same kind. Uh, it's the root from where we get our English idea of alter ego. But anyway, Jesus tells his disciples, he tells them, the Father will send you another advocate, one like me, one of the same kind. In other words, he is going to send a person, a person that will come alongside you and walk with you just like Jesus did for his disciples. In fact, since we're talking about words so much, that word advocate there in verse 16 is the Greek word paraclete. That word means advocate or comforter, but it literally means one who comes alongside of us. Here's why knowing this makes all the difference in the world. You can't have a relationship with a thing, but you can have a relationship with a person. And the Bible teaches that when you surrender your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your life to live with you, and he walks alongside of you so that you never again have to do life alone. And when you think about it, what's so incredible about this is this is the one truth that separates Christianity from all other religions that you can have a personal relationship with the Father. Look at Ephesians 1, 13. Paul, in writing to the church of Ephesus, says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And then he says, When you believe, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And how does that Holy Spirit come in? Well, look at 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Paul writes, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You see, the Holy Spirit is a person, and you can have a relationship with him. And because he's a person, Scripture shows us that he has emotions. I mean, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah sheds light on this when he talks about how when we rebel against God, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, can you imagine can you imagine that thought? I mean, what, what we do, you know, even in our actions, we can cause grief for the Holy Spirit. I mean, have you ever stopped mid-thought? Or have you ever stopped in the middle of your sin and realized that your actions can grieve the Holy Spirit? Now, it doesn't change His opinion of us, and it doesn't mean that He loves us any less, but it does grieve Him. And here's something that's really cool. You know, because he's a person, the Holy Spirit has a mind and a will and desires for us. You know, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will advocate for us and that he prays on our behalf. Look at Romans 8, verse 27. Paul writes, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit 
because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You, you could exchange the word pray for intercede here. The Holy Spirit prays to the Father on our behalf. Do you have any idea of the significance of that? I mean, how many times have you hit rock bottom or maybe found yourself in a helpless situation and you want to reach out to God and you want to pray, but you've got no clue what to say or pray? As a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit prays on your behalf. That means when you can't think straight or when all energy is gone, He prays for you. He reaches out for us in words that we can never express on our own. Now, I want to just say here that at this point, especially if you're new, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, I like what I'm hearing. God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, but how many people do I have messing with me, all right? Well, the Holy Spirit's a person, but the second thing is the Holy Spirit is God. I mean, let's not make this more difficult than it needs to be. Let's not overcomplicate it. I mean, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God. We worship one God, uh, sometimes referred to as the Trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, the word Trinity means God in three persons. Now, we might ask, well, how in the world can three people be one person and the same thing all at one time? Hey, let's just acknowledge here. This isn't easy stuff. Um, People and theologians have been studying and digging into things like this for centuries. But the reality is that God's not like us. And because He's not like us, we can't fully comprehend Him. And do you know what? That's kind of the point. I mean, the moment that we think we've got God all figured out, I mean, He really stops being God. Donald Miller said it like this, I can no more understand an all-powerful God than the pancake I made for breakfast this morning can understand me. I've heard people try and explain before how God is like water, uh, that you can describe Him as someone as ice, liquid, and steam, um, and how God is like that. Or people will say that God's like an egg, you know, if you think about the yolk and the shell uh, and, and the whites, but, and all three come together to make up an egg. But I just got to be honest, I'm not real comfortable explaining my God and how he's like an egg uh, or something uh, because there is nothing like him. Uh, Francis Chan said it like this, he is incomprehensible, incomparable, and unlike any other being. He is outside our realm of existence and thus outside our ability to categorize him. While analogies may be helpful in understanding certain aspects of him, let's be careful not to think that our analogies in any way encapsulate his nature. You know, one of the ways that I've tried to better understand God and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is through the roles they play, uh, the roles they play in my life and the roles they play in the church. And the Holy Spirit is God, and He's eternal. I mean, He has always been. You know, Genesis 1 describes that in the very beginning of all of creation, the Spirit was there hovering over the waters. Uh, if you continue on in reading and you arrive all the way to the place of Revelation, we find that it's God's Spirit at work inviting people to come back to the Lord. The Holy Spirit has always been and always will be. And if it still doesn't make sense, then let me say it like this. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and receive the gift of salvation, one of the benefits of that gift of salvation of your, is your new life in Christ. It's, it, it's the Spirit of God in you and how God takes up residence in your life and He never leaves. And because of that, 
we're encouraged because we know that we're never alone. I mean, you never have to worry in your life about being far from God. I mean, and, and that news can make all of the difference uh, in your life uh, for me. I mean, it was the presence of the Holy Spirit that made all the difference in the life of Paul. I mean, it was the Holy Spirit that enabled Paul to live his life fully surrendered to the Lord. And that same Spirit that was in Paul, if you're a Christian, that Spirit is in you too with all of its power and all of its potential. And it's not enough to say that the Holy Spirit is in you, but you also need to know a little bit more about what the Spirit does for us. Uh, we've seen some of these examples already, uh, but number three is that the Holy Spirit gives you power. You know, you receive power, uh, even supernatural power when you receive the Holy Spirit. I mean, we saw it in Acts chapter two last week and how God gave power through the Spirit to the disciples and the early church. Uh, we definitely see it in Paul, and we see it in his travels and in his preaching and how he starts all of these churches. Uh, we see that God enabled him to heal the sick uh, and to perform miracles at different times. Uh, we see the power and the presence of the Spirit uh, in Stephen and how he was able to, to live his life boldly and courageously even to the very end. And we see that power in Peter, too. I mean, in Acts chapter 2, you know, it records the day of Pentecost, and, and Peter got up to speak, and the Holy Spirit filled Peter, and it filled the place where he was and where he was teaching, and 3,000 people surrendered their lives to the Lord on that day. And it wasn't Peter's preaching, but it was the power and the presence of the Spirit working in that place and working through the life of Peter. The Holy Spirit gives you power just as Jesus promised before he ascended into heaven. Jesus said it this way in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before he ascended into heaven, he said, but you will receive power. That word's the word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite from. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What a great promise, right? That when we commit our lives to the ministry and the mission of Jesus Christ, we can be confident in the very presence and power of God in our lives in the person of the Holy Spirit. And what kind of power is it? I mean, what do we get as a result of God's Spirit and His power in us? Well, just a few things real quick before we close. You know, we've already talked about the power to pray. I mean, what a gift. You know, as Romans eight twenty seven promises that the Holy Spirit intercedes, that he prays on our behalf. I mean, he knows what to say. He knows what to pray. And there is power and there is hope in a promise like this. And even in knowing this, or being reminded of this today, I, I pray that it will change and it will affect the way that you pray and the way you believe. Because if the Holy Spirit, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you today, then there is power in your prayers. I mean, there's power in prayer to heal your marriage or to heal the relationships around you in your life right now. Uh, there's power in prayer to change your child's life, uh, even if you feel like they've wandered so far away from where they've started. Um, there's power in prayer to heal our wounds, uh, to overcome an illness, uh, to heal a body from cancer. And there's power in prayer to reach the heart of your mom, or your dad, or a sibling, or a spouse, or a friend who is far from God right now. There's power in prayer. And Paul prayed confidently because of that power in him. And we can do the same too. The Holy Spirit also gives us the power to overcome fear. 
The Holy Spirit can give you courage. You know, again, Acts 1.8 says, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Now, how are these two things related? Well, there's a lot at stake for being a witness of Jesus Christ in these days. I mean, Paul wasn't the last antagonist. I mean, remember, many of the first disciples were persecuted, beaten, stoned, and even crucified for their beliefs. And in the face of that opposition and those threats, they needed power. I mean, the Apostle Paul was like that. Even with the thre threats and the persecution he faced, he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 23. We'll look at this a little bit more next week. He talks about how, hey, I have worked much harder, uh, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Uh, once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Uh, he writes, I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, uh, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. I'm guessing that Paul had a hard time getting life insurance, all right? Like no one, you know, would cover him, you know, because of the life that he lived. That's Paul's life in Christ. And if you're Paul, how in the world do you keep going? I mean, where does Paul get the faith and the courage to keep going? It's the same spirit that is in those of you that know Jesus Christ as your Savior and friend. He is the one that can give you courage to face whatever it is that's going on in your life right now. Uh, maybe uncertainties at work or at school. Uh, he can help you overcome the fear associated with a frightening illness, an upcoming surgery, or maybe some financial strain. I mean, it's the presence uh, of the Spirit that will give you the ability to, to face, you know, your difficult marriage or to live a life completely surrendered to the Lord. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, the power to overcome fear, the same Spirit, the same power in Paul. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, He's in you too. The last thing is this. Finally, you receive the power to defeat sin. Again, this is not an exhaustive list, but the power to defeat sin. John writes it like this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. He says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They can't go on sinning because they have been born of God. Now, what's God's seed? It's the Holy Spirit. I mean, these words show us that if you're in Christ, and the Spirit is in you, then you can't go on sinning. Now, does this mean that we never slip up? I mean, does this mean that God's people don't ever slip up now? Because none of us is perfect. But what it does show us is that as we allow God's Spirit to work in us, as a new creation in Jesus Christ, sin can't remain. Like, it has to be driven out. And the more we become aware of God's Spirit in us, the less power sin has over us. And that's good news. And that's great news for every single one of us today because if you have ever found yourself in a situation in life where you feel defeated or caught in a pattern of sin and you've tried and you've tried to rid yourself of it only to watch it come back over and over again, it's time you realize that victory isn't found by trying harder. Um, victory isn't found in convincing yourself that you need to do better. Victory won't be found in beating yourself up when you fail maybe over and over again. 
But victory can only be found through the presence of God, the Holy Spirit at work in us. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. It's the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. It made all the difference in Paul's life. I mean, it was what enabled him to live his life fully surrendered to the Lord. And it can make all the difference in your life too. Hey, before we pray, you know, before Jesus died on the cross uh, and he was gathered together with his disciples, his disciples, he told them to get ready. Uh, he said that, that to anticipate, to look forward to the coming of the Holy Spirit. He even used the words, it is to your advantage that I go. Basically, Jesus was saying, hey, you think it's great having me with you here on this earth? You haven't seen anything yet. You wait until the Holy Spirit, until God himself comes and lives and rests inside of you with all of his power and all of his potential. Let's pray.